If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Frozen Courtney. (laughs) You look good. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Your hair looks all nice and glasses. Well, I put on makeup to do this Skype generally is the one time of the week that I actually put on makeup. Yeah. I put on mascara for the first time in two months. Yeah, mascara and eyeliner is the only makeup I ever I ever do. So I did that. I got a new earring. I'm I'm investing in some new ear cuffs and earrings. Oh. I don't know if you can see it though. Nice. I see your ear cuff. Yeah. I can't see the earrings. It's like it attaches down here with a little chain. Oh, cool. And then like nice. That's some of my that's that's been a lot of my lately late night Amazon shopping mm. has been some fashion stuff. Well, that's good. My late night Amazon shopping and for for real i mean that is such a thing going to bed get on amazon i'm like you know what i need another table and some chairs (laughs) (laughs) it's true though and so i did and they came in today and i gotta put them together yep it's true it is hi patrice (laughs) hi marlea (laughs) hi Hi, guys hey courtney we think we've got all our technical difficulties out of the way yes i hope while i sit here and complain about how much i touch my face and we talk about all the things that we bought on amazon in the middle of the night yes midnight shopping (laughs) also midnight donations been doing that a lot yes there's been a lot of that in all times of day petition signing and just whatever i can do from the house yeah lots of that stuff (laughs) <laughs> what is our drink since we all just went glug, 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 glug. <laughs> this is oregano infused paloma. So it's a fresh squeezed grapefruit and a simple syrup infused with oregano from my herb garden Ooh. with tequila. Ooh, nice. Silver Isn't tequila. Fancy. It's so fancy. It's so fancy. Of course, I make it even better because I have a wide mouth mason jar. <laughs> Ah, good. I am just not sophisticated enough to do martini glasses. I end up wearing the drink more than drinking the drink. I said, I stuck my little pinky out on accident. Like every time I do it, I'm like, hey, look at me, tiny pinky. Cheers to you too. Cheers to all of you other people out there. Yes. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. What have we got that we want to cover pre-stories today? I don't have any pre-story. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, know, I just didn't know. I just, yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, there's a lot, but I can't. Everybody's exhausted. I can't. Yeah. Or, Courtney, did you have something you wanted to say? Kind of what Patrice was saying. It's kind of a balance here yeah. of uh, finding our happy time with each other and doing the show and, yes. you know, reaching out to our listeners in this time. But I feel as far as protests and things moving forward it seems a little more hopeful today than it did last week and yes. mm-hmm. and lots of lots of turnout yesterday hundreds of thousands of people in all over the world and I, it just made me very happy to see like that kind of support i do want to give a shout out to my alma mater mississippi state university because they totally fucking brought it uh you should go <laughs> look at just the masses of people wearing fucking masks and marching yes. in a protest in Starkville, Mississippi. So I was very, I was very proud of them. 
the photos from it are really good. I'll post those. Awesome. Yes. Proud that Birmingham yeah. got the statue down <laughs> and the, the GoFundMe mm-hmm. account supported it. Birmingham. Uh, so, and we can get into a, a little bit of this, but Birmingham uh, is part of Alabama. Alabama has the Alabama Memorial Preservation Preservation Act. Excuse me, half my martini glass is empty. <laughs> but so basically the Alabama state government made it illegal for state cities, individual cities in Alabama to remove Confederate monuments several years ago. And they imposed a fine. Originally, people thought it was going to be like a, a day-to-day fine, I believe, $25,000 a day or $25,000 an instance. And Birmingham, once its, once its demonstrators from last week started you know, making movements towards that memorial in Lynn Park in Birmingham, they, the, the mayor said, give us till Tuesday. The action started Sunday. They were like, give us till Tuesday and I will get this thing down. And so they, they called lawyers, they got into it, found out that they only have to pay a $25,000 one-time fine, which is still 100% ridiculous. Absolutely. And, and they were like, well, our budget is X hundred thousands of dollars. We can afford this. We're going to suck it up, pay the fine and get the thing out of here. And so major props to the city of Birmingham for making those steps and for people for giving them the time to own that. Yeah. Thanks to all the people who demonstrated and brought that up and, and gave the government time to do the right thing also. And uh, yeah, that was all really spectacular. Yes. That's one of the many things that I've researched all week. And I bet you, Patrice, I, I I'm sure you and a lot of listeners, and I know Courtney too, we're all kind of in the same boat with a lot of this stuff that if there's stuff coming up in these demonstrations and protests and actions that we aren't familiar with, that we don't understand, whether it's as people of color or as white allies, we've been researching constantly. Thank God for the internet. Mm. Thank God for books and all this kind of stuff. And God, thank God for social media. But, you know, we spent all this time looking at like the defund the police movement and mandatory minimum sentencing and quality and you know people like Angela Davis and James Baldwin and Nina Simone a lot of whom have southern roots and all of us have been looking at all this stuff and I know Patrice you're probably in the same boat that I, I spent all week thinking what am I gonna say about all this you know what story am I gonna tell that covers this and I got finally got the message <laughs> it was like I don't I I don't need to be the one who does that I need to tell y'all about the black hosted podcasts that are talking about this Yes. so that you can subscribe to them yes. and so that you can listen to those Absolutely. and so that we can do the same thing. So by the time you hear posted all this in social media, but also on this episode show page, we're going to include all these links. There are tons of podcasts and other things that you can listen to and watch but some of them that you might want to look into are code switch is a good one still processing ratchet and respectable tea with queen and jen is one that i the read is another podcast and bottom of the map is one that i i was wasn't familiar with that actually covers politics culture in the context of southern hip-hop so wow. that one's kind of cool that's gonna um, be really interesting i know there are this, so all of these are definitely worth listening to they're worth subscribing to and those are the voices that we need to hear and those are the voices that we need to amplify so that's enough for you to get started get out there listen to those start listening subscribe support do your homework vote, vote. read the books listen to the stuff and vote. go vote and so we'll let those voices be the voices that that you listen to, please. I'm not even kidding. Go and go and listen, like stop what you're doing right now and go and listen to them. <laughs> and then if you feel like it, come back to us. Absolutely. So, and then we can go on and do our wacky, weird, creepy shit that we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the end of my soapbox moment for right now. Well said. Am I first this week? You are. You are first this week. <laughs> okay. We all have seen the thing where quicksand, we thought that was going to be like a bigger thing than it really is growing up, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, because in the 80s, quicksand ate every hero. Yes. And seriously, as a child, I remember, you know, walking across sand and just keeping my eyeball out for something that could swallow me up whole. So these are the Mm -hmm. things that growing up, that were really like emphasized to us through pop culture and through television and stuff. 
Same thing with the whole satanic panic and playing the records backwards and everything. And another thing when I was growing up that I really thought was an imminent threat to everybody is spontaneous (laughs) combustion. (gasps) Oh my God, you're right. It was all over the news for some reason. For some reason, I just remember like seeing on the news piles of ashes with a foot or a hand next to like (laughs) a table. It's really, it's really planted into my brain just as the thought of falling into quicksand or being kidnapped and sacrificed in a satanic ritual or any of the things (laughs) or playing a uh, record, Nazi Osborne record backwards, you're going to hell or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there have been more than 200 cases of spontaneous human combustion reported around the world. No. And most involve victims burning almost completely. Although things like hands and feet remain intact and their surroundings obviously are unburned. That's, that's the whole fascinating point about it. Cause it, it really truly looks like somebody like an alien came in and just like laser beamed them and just left them where they were. There's three things. That's the that, answer. That is the answer, right? However, <laughs> science thinks <laughs> that there are three things <laughs> that happen <laughs> In order for something to combust, you have to have very high heat, you have to have a source of fuel, and you have to have an oxidizing agent, which basically means you have to have oxygen present. And as the body is largely composed of water, obviously it's kind of hard to make something that's, you know, has liquid burn. So some have suggested that fat in a human body could act as a fuel source and the victim's hair oh or clothing might act like uh, a candle wick. So this is known as the wick effect where <laughs> your literal fat on your body would burn as the fat in the candle, leaving everything else around intact. So a new oh diet. God. Fat burning. <laughs> It's literally <laughs> fat burning. Well, they used to make candles out of fat, right? Or maybe that was something I watched on television in the 70s or 80s where they had like people's fat and candles. Like up. tallow. The, is yes. it tallow? Isn't tallow fat? Is it's that animal, animal fat? fat? Yes. Yes. Tallow candles. That's a thing. That is a thing. So on July 2nd, 1951... About 8 a.m., Mary Reasoner's landlady arrived at her door with the telegram, and her door, she found, was a metal doorknob, was uncomfortably warm to touch, and it freaked her out, so she called the cops. When the cops got there, they found this, like, large pile of ashes in this chair uh, where she had been sitting, and her left foot, which was still wearing a slipper, and her backbone there remain <gasps> along with her skull so it was basically like her ah. leg her backbone and her skull and during the investigations the temperatures they i don't know if they guessed or how they came about this number but they were and i guess it may be due to how hot it has to get for a body to cremate they they mm-hmm. say that her body reached 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which again has puzzled everybody because nothing, you know, all the household objects in the distance you would think would be set on fire, but everything survived. Mm -hmm. And really the only way that they could tell that how hot it got is like some of the plastic objects in around the house kind of softened and lost their shape. So that let them know like it was really, really hot, but it was odd that nothing else caught on fire. Another really strange thing that happened, and again, this is thanks to Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. They said (laughs) that her skull that had survived among the ashes was shrunken. And by shrunken, Mm. 
they mean that it was basically the size of a teacup. Which was um, which is kind of weird, right? Does so, that happen? I don't think that's possible. Well, then again, exactly, exactly. Look but at this the was, context of the conversation. This, but this was supposedly <clears throat> in the report, and you know, of course, when your skull is revealed and all the flesh and hair and stuff are removed, of course, it's going to be smaller. But it was so small that it really, it they made note of it into the report that it was the size of a teacup. Hmm. So the shrinking of the skull is not really a regular feature of alleged cases of spontaneous combustion, although it has become kind of anecdotal in certain accounts and throughout time, talking about, you know, the spontaneous combustion and this is an after effect again it doesn't make sense remember science but i just wanted to put that out there that the shrunken skull thing was a thing that people talked about with spontaneous combustion so hmm. july 7th which was a few days later five days later the saint petersburg police chief jr reicher sent a box of this evidence because again they were kind of perplexed as what was going on so they sent this box to the fbi director who happened to be j edgar hoover at the time and he included glass fragments found in the ashes small objects uh, or well they thought that, okay glass fragments which i guess could have been glasses maybe or something small objects thought to be teeth of course but you would think you would know what teeth looks like a section of the carpet <laughs> and the surviving shoe. The body was almost totally cremated, of course, with the very high temperatures. And Reichert said that we requested any information or theories that could explain how a human body could be destroyed and the fire confined to such a small area and so little damage done to the structure of the building and the furniture in the room and not even scorched or damaged by smoke. The FBI eventually declared that Reese had been incinerated by the uh, wick effect. And because she was known, it, it was kind of a thing, because she was known to take sleeping pills, they hypothesized that she had fallen unconscious while smoking and set fire to her night clothes. <laughs> and the FBI said that once the body started to burn, there was enough fat and other flammable substances to permit varying amounts of destruction to take place. And they said sometimes, they said sometimes <laughs> this destruction by burning will proceed to a degree which results in almost complete combustion of the body. So that's what was their findings. And that's what they sent back to the police chief. What year is this again? Like, this was she's a communist. 1950s. Okay. So... The police chief had on the scene a physical anthropologist named Wilton Krogman, who was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania Schools of Medicine. And Krogman had spent some time in the 30s experimenting and examining these sorts of incidences. And so he lent his aid to the detection of crimes with the police chief here in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hold on, got a drink. <laughs> Me too. So Krogman, Krogman was frequently consulted by, like I said, the FBI for this reason. And after he examined the scene and he read the FBI's report, he disputed with the FBI. And nobody knows why, what, what his findings were and why he disputed. And it would not be publicly known for like over a decade. So 1950s, very hush-hush. Oh. J. Edgar Hoover, very hush-hush all of these things. <laughs> but like a decade later, it was found out that Krogman, I'm sorry, this is why I'm laughing. Krogman found it hard to believe that the human body could ignite and would consume itself in no this way. way. And, you know, he wrote all of this stuff and he's like, we may never know, though this case still haunts me. And he said, regard to the shrunken skull, the head is not left complete in ordinary burning cases. Certainly it does not shrivel or symmetrically reduce to a smaller size. In presence of heat sufficient right. To, right, to destroy soft tissue, the skull would literally explode into many pieces. 
So yeah. not co- not convinced of what the FBI have have said, and having examined the scene himself, he's he says, <clears throat> I regard it as the most amazing thing I've ever seen. As I review it, the short hairs on my neck bristle with vague fear. Were I living in the Middle Ages, I muttered something about black magic. So this is his writing at the time. <laughs> well, then. Hadn't been the list. But let me tell you his theory. He thinks it was a murder. Krogman thinks that she had been murdered at a, another location that had access to oh. a crematorium type equipment that incinerated her body. And that the murderer transported the results of the partial cremation back to the apartment, used a portable heat generating equipment for the finishing touches <laughs> as the heat buckled plastic objects and the warm doorknob. So I'm like, okay, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot yeah, of work. Yeah, it is. That's a lot. I mean, okay, okay, I can buy it if it was murder and they came back and they staged it as a partial cremation. But nobody's going to spend the time for this poor old woman for no reason whatsoever (laughs) to melt the plastic objects around her body and then do like a home alone where you put the metal heater thing on the doorknob where the doorknobs were, you know? (laughs) That's not going to happen. Also, did they, so they accidentally grabbed the wrong skull at the aquarium, right? Is that the, yeah, <laughs> that's our, the theory there? Maybe? Yeah. Our, he didn't say any, he mentioned the skull that really wasn't addressed, but maybe a child's skull, or maybe she was just a very petite woman. You know, mm-hmm. you can be petite and fat too, or have lots of, <laughs> you know, heat melting substances on your person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I hate this theory. <laughs> okay. Oh. So, later on, the BBC had a television program, and I do not have the dates for this, which is unfortunate, but I have a feeling this is probably more in the 70s or 80s, where they did a larger scale experiment about human combustion because i think maybe something had happened there there is a case in the 80s that again i think got widely publicized and kind of you know interest everybody so it's like in your memory and they did all the news reports on it so the bbc Mm -hmm. uh did this experiment and they took a dead pig's body wrapped in a blanket no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) and placed in a furnished room and they lit the blanket with a, a small amount of petrol. And it took some time to, like, it didn't just go, you know. The, eventually, it did catch on fire, and it did produce the wick effect where it uh, burned at a very high temperature with low flames. And I was thinking about that time that we lit our drinks on fire, and we didn't think yes. that they were lit because we couldn't see the flame until we turned the lights out. And then we were glad we did that so we wouldn't have burned our eyebrows <laughs> off. I burned my hair. Or caught our hair on fire. It was blue. blue flame. Yeah. We, That's we knew... supposedly like one of the hottest, right? hotter, the more blue it is. Right. So this is mm-hmm. the kind of flame that uh, was being produced, one that you really couldn't see, but was very high temperature. So the heat. But pl- it was dead already. The, right? The right. pig was dead. Yeah, the pig was dead. So when they did this, the heat collected at the top of the room. It did melt the television. Apparently the pig was watching TV. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but the flames really caused little damage to the surroundings. The body burned for a number of hours and then was extinguished and examined. And during the examination, they observed that the flesh and the bones actually burnt to where they were ashes. So very similar to what happens with these cases of spontaneous combustion here. But we also have multiple theories and different things and multiple writings because this has been going on as long as like you've had humans and fire, basically. So mm-hmm. British biologist Brian Ford has another theory and he says that the enigmatic blazes uh, that happen to humans are a condition called ketosis. 
and that the human body produces a small amount of flammable substance known as acetone. And he believes that when people get ill, they may produce enough acetone to have a tiny, that a tiny spark, perhaps they say static electricity, could catch the person on fire and burn. Does that mean that people on the keto diet are more flammable? Uh, That's what I'm reading into it. And that's why I also want to call Look bulk out. because I haven't seen anybody <laughs> burst into flames that was on the keto diet. We would have seen a rise in those. Uh, there would have been a rise. There would have been in the last decade for all the keto. Absolutely. Very popular. Absolutely. Very popular. Literally burning fat. Okay. <laughs> Another popular theory suggests that methane builds up in the intestines and might ignite as well. So that was so another... they farted themselves to death. Right. Well, a lot yeah. of the theories that happens is that the people actually are dead, like they die in their sleep. That's what. And yeah, they that's have... what I was thinking. And I think so too. And so with that, then maybe gases, you know, happen and catch on fire and whatnot. But there's no shortage of things being written about as far as other theories. And, of course, any theory in 1938 is going to be right on it. But one of the things that they have recorded back then was victims were chronic alcoholics, usually elderly females. The body has not burned spontaneously, but actually lit by some substance that it had, like, contact with. Usually the hands and the feet fall off but are not burnt. Uh, Very little damage to things in contact with the body. And again, 1938, the combustion of the body was left, obviously, a residue of greasy, fetid ashes with a very offensive odor, which, I mean, yeah, they're dead and it's burnt flesh. I'm sure it smells like horrible. Again, (laughs) Victorian era, going back just a little bit, turn of the century, they blamed alcoholism on spontaneous human combustion, and that's that. Speaking of Victorianism, and Victorianism, the Victoria area, (laughs) I saw a really uh, interesting thing about, because Victorians were very germaphobic, Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think of Victoria, we think very, like, stiff upper lip, prim and proper, not showing kind of emotion, not emotional at all. They say that during the Victoria time, they were so terrified of the plague or whatever that was going around at the time and of germs because they were just finding out about germs because during the Victorian age, science kind of exploded. And mm-hmm. so they found out about germs, which freaked everybody out and they stopped kissing their children so all of the victorian children's i'm sure were scarred from thinking that their mothers (laughs) did not love them because they were getting no love and hugs uh, because of germs that sounds very british it is very british anyway what a pandemic time too yeah i know right i know our lives right now exactly it it did parallel very much okay there is another theory there's several theories but (laughs) i kind of just chopped out the ones that i thought were interesting as larry arnold's theory that of course is a pseudoscientific theory so you know it's true where a new subatomic particle called the pyrotron accumulates in the body and this is how your blood basically catches on fire and it is said <laughs> it is said that the inc- the increased alcohol in the blood and extreme stress could trigger this combustion so there you go. Oh my god. I'm <laughs> practically dead then already. <laughs> I know. I was like, you know, if this was true, then there would be like little fires everywhere. I mean, just people walking around catching on Isn't fire. Isn't that a show? There is. I yes. think there is. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was um, a Reese Witherspoon show. Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon. Yes. Carrie Washington. Another... It, it was not about spontaneous <laughs> human combustion. combustion. <laughs> it 
It's actually about race relations. It's yeah. Anyway, and oh, so okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Let's see. 1976. There is a book called Fire from Heavens, written by Michael Harrison, that suggested spontaneous human combustion is connected to poltergeist activity. And he argues mm-hmm. that the force which activates the poltergeist originates in and is supplied by a human being. So not too far off from the UFO kind of theory that we just came up with that we should write in Wikipedia right now. <laughs> and he says that spontaneous human combustion, fatal or non-fatal, belongs to the extensive range of poltergeist phenomenon. So... In that vein, there's also someone else that suggests that ball lightning, which have we covered ball lightning? I know we've covered one or one or you talked about the will of the wisps, right? right. And I talked about the fee filet. Right. And I think one or the other of us ball lightning. Yes. Uh, mentioned it. Yeah. So he said that ball lightning could account for spontaneous human combustion, circumstantial only, but the charring of human limbs seen in a number of ball lightning cases are very suggestive that this is the mechanic mechanic that have occurred. Um, <laughs> <the> people combust. <laughs> <laughs> In literature, and this is kind of the wrap-up here, in literature, in Bleak House, Charles Dickens, the character Mr. Crook dies of spontaneous combustion at the part, uh, end of part uh, 10. And obviously, one of my favorite all-time movies, this is Spinal Tap. Two of the band's former drummers have (laughs) said to spontaneously combust on stage. Uh, that is my story Um, I thought spontaneous human combustion was going to be more of a thing (laughs) spontaneous it is so weird though because you say that and it's like the response tells you what age range the we're talking to is because it was such a huge thing in the media for a while it that was. it's like everybody has immediately oh yeah spontaneous human combustion yeah and i think it's it's i think the the there was an incidence in the 70s but there was one in the 80s again because for some reason in the 80s like all of this stuff became very pop culture and and embedded in our brain there was a guy in ireland i believe that and i can still kind of visually see his foot and the chair that he was sitting so weird. in. And so, yeah. So I have like a very vivid memory, whether it's correct or not, of that news broadcast. And maybe I'll try to find it. But again, I thought it was definitely one of those other things I had to be scared about, along with like <laughs> the Cold War war of like dying by nukes and yeah. all, mm-hmm. all the things like Jeez. that. Killer bees. Killer. Oh, piranha. For sure. Oh, piranha were a big thing. Were a big thing. Uh, Jaws. So killer sharks going to eat me anytime I stuck my toe in the ocean (laughs) or in a swimming pool. I would get creeped out in a swimming pool. I would freak myself out. No, I will have to. I have to tell you that the local drive in, which we discovered last weekend for the first time ever and took the kids to, they're doing a double feature this weekend, starting this weekend of Jurassic Park followed by Jaws. Yes. And I was like, Jaws at the drive-in and Jurassic Park at that. I'm like, I'm surprised I'm not there right now. But because Jurassic Park at the drive-in is like my dream. That would my be dream a dream. Movie. I actually right? want to say that I saw Jaws at the drive-in initially. Oh, yeah? Yes, I, I do remember. We went to that. We had a local drive-in. We had a local drive-in that was maybe like three or four miles from my house and we would just all pile up in the station wagon. We, we were, we had pop our own popcorn and put it in a brown paper A and P sack and put like all of our salt in it and bring our own drinks and sit in our lawn chairs and eat popcorn and watch movies like Star Wars, Conan the Barbarian, Jaws, all, oh, yeah. all those movies. And then, interestingly enough, when drive-in movies kind of went out of fashion, that movie theater still tried to obviously make money and it became 
I don't know if it was a porn drive-in movie, but uh. I think it was. Because every time we drove past it, it was like, you know, Debbie so-and-so XXX. So it definitely turned porn for a while, which I was not of the age to truly comprehend what that was and kind of the audience that would be sitting in their cars and what would be happening in those cars. In those cars. So Well, I went in the 90s. Oh. The first time I went to the drive-in, I won't tell my my whole secrets but I, t- I went to see Austin Powers the spy who shagged me <laughs> with uh, some oh. friends who had been to a cow pasture let's just say and I'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> and I was paying attention to the trees behind the screen more than I was the movie <laughs> such fun oh lord make of that what Whoa. you will <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to, I may have to return to the Jaws thing, the little bit of this drive and stuff at the after show. But wait, it's it's funny because I think our, our through line tonight might be children of the 70s and 80s. So take a break. Back in a sec. Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Alexa. And have you always been curious if Winona Ryder is actually crazy? Are you dying to learn how to stay out of a cult? Then you should definitely check out the Psyched Podcast. The podcast where two psychotherapists analyze real and fictional figures from pop culture and tell you all about the obscure psychological phenomenon that your Psych 101 class didn't have time to tell you about. So grab your cocktail and head over to thepsychedpodcast.com and check us out. And don't forget to go to therapy and get your shit together. Bye. We're back. We're back. Welcome back. Look how delicious this looks. Oh, the tequila. And look how big this is. Wow. Is that so you did two singles and that was it, right? Uh sure. Well that's what I was at. like I it was because it called for a lot. Like that was It was a lot. This this is a lot. And I'm already pretty like good and buzzed. I had to squeeze twenty four ounces twenty four ounces of grapefruit juice for these. (laughs) And I didn't have the electric juicer. I may need to borrow it to say I'm fixing to bring it to your house. (laughs) And you just keep it till we come back. Oh, that'll happen one day. One day soon. One day. Okay, well, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. So my story came from last week. I was watching the Atlanta protests on CNN, and the demonstrators were kind of pinning some police and some journalists inside the CNN center. I don't know if you saw that on TV or not, but it was when all the demonstrators were outside of the CNN center and and there were some people that were banging on the windows and breaking things. And we were kind of sitting there thinking, why the CNN center? Why are you doing this? And I I would recommend that you get on YouTube and watch the speech that the rapper Killer Mike did about the CNN Mm -hmm. center and the everything that happened that night, because it's it's amazing what he says. So I'll drop that in the like YouTube in the links. But so there was while they were doing this, they were talking about the CNN center and, you know, like the 24 hour news cycle. They as if they didn't have other things to talk about. They just kind of started going off about like the and this one. I'm sorry. Oh, can you hear me? Could you repeat what you just said? Because I feel like it's important and I didn't hear it. Oh, okay, okay. So I was saying that there was one broadcaster who, while all this was happening, started talking about the history of the CNN Center in Atlanta. And he said kind of off the top, just a really like glancing statement. It was the location of X and Y and this and that. And the short-lived indoor Sid and Marty Croft theme park. I was like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that can't be right. And because I'd never heard of anything like this, Mm -hmm. like Sid and Marty theme Croft or Sid and Marty Croft theme park. And I used to work at the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. (laughs) So I was like, how could I not have ever heard of anything like this? So it's a real thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And so let, a little bit about like where the CNN center, what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So to get us to that point. So in the fifties and sixties, Atlanta spent a lot of time like tearing down poor and black neighborhoods for freeways and shopping complexes and stuff like that. And in the seventies, crime had risen. Uh, a lot of people said the word urban decay. There are a lot of reasons behind look in the history of Atlanta. It's very complicated, right. but it, 
there was a uh, a property developer called Cousins Properties that in the 70s thought, okay, we're going to build all this. It's kind of like an if they if we build it, they will come philosophy. Right. So they started creating all these brand new massive convention centers and complexes in Atlanta in the early 70s all at the same time. And one of these was the Omni International Complex. So the Omni Complex was connected to Omni Coliseum. And that was a big old sports and concert arena. It opened in 1972. And it if you see pictures of Atlanta from around that time, it's like a huge, massive steel building that looks like an egg crate on top. And it was supposed to be the state-of-the-art construction, something to do with rusted metal. It was like weathered steel. So it was supposed to last forever, basically. But it had apparently never been tested in southern humidity. So if you are from that area, you might remember them imploding the Coliseum on television in 1997, you know, just like 20 after 20 years because the steel walls had like corroded, creating holes big enough for fans to just climb through. And they had to put chain link and everything on the outside of all the walls. Uh, They had, there were other things too, you know, it was built at the wrong time and the sports like franchises started getting so big and demanding more box seats and more luxury. And, but you know, it was stuff like they had the showers down the hall from the locker rooms. It it was just dumb shit that they hadn't really put it together very well. So anyway, but, but for all that, it was a major sports arena in downtown Atlanta, and it was bringing in a whole lot of crowds to see events. You know, concerts were held there, all these different sports events. And so developers and the city government were seeing all these crowds. They want to give them a place to hang out and stay and spend money in town around the Coliseum. So one of the things that they built in this time to kind of serve that purpose was the rest of the Omni Complex, Omni International Complex. It was touted as a city within the city. Mm-hmm. So it was a big out it was a big indoor multi-purpose like atriumed huge building. And it was the home to the Omni Hotel, which is still there. Mm-hmm. And and now it has like 1600 rooms I think or something like that. Is it's it- got office space, it's got retail space. Is the Omni the one that has like the big center circular thing that everybody takes pictures of when they're in Atlanta and stay in there? I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure. I, I'm not either. There, mean I mean, the it's one that had the restaurant at the top that spins. Is that the, the um, that is the Omni? Is that, that the, no, no that's, that's the Westin. Westin. Oh, it's okay. a Peachtree Westin. The this one, the Omni is is attached to what is now the CNN Center. And when they built it, so it had this big Omni hotel in it. It had space that was built for office space, space that was built for retail restaurants. It had a video arcade in it. They had built a regulation size indoor skating rink, ice skating rink inside the Omni complex. I vaguely remember like ice skating, like being a thing in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, like indoor ice skating mm-hmm. rink in Atlanta, just right in the middle of downtown and a multi-screen movie theater in there, which it, and it was funny because it said for years the theater offered showings of Gone with the Wind, mm. like I guess constantly. I don't know. But the developers were looking at this space when they first built it and saying, OK, so we've got these plans for all these things. What we need is a big family entertainment element to bring families in. And to create this, they turned to one of the most famous children's entertainment duos at the time, which was Sid and Marty Croft. This is another thing where it will date you if you hear those names and feel something or if you don't. But, oh, yeah. Courtney, did you? No. You didn't either? Oh, my God. So my brother and I were all about Sid and Marty Croft. Sid and Marty Croft kind of dominated Saturday morning TV in the kind of the mid to late 70s or or actually early to mid 70s but they originally when they started out so they're brothers they were sons of greek immigrants they taught themselves puppetry this may be why you don't know it courtney because you hate i don't know the things that you know about like developers of cartoons and things like you know names of people artists oh i do inept i don't Uh, know these things you oh, know. you feel inept because I memorized like completely useless <laughs> trivia. About- <laughs> well, you'll just say these people, and I'm like, I'm so uncultured. I don't know any of these artists. Oh whatever. God, wait, just Same. keep listening, and you'll realize that it has nothing to do with culture. I'm sure it's like 
<laughs> okay. Well, anyway, but, no, it's, it's because I, I was a. I was obsessed with animation and puppetry when I was little, when I was a kid. And so like I would sit and watch like animated films and memorize who the directors were and who the lead animators were and figure out which frames had been borrowed from which films to use in other films. I mean, I was like weirdly obsessed Marlena, because when I lived in your special, well, I lived in, I lived in Germany <laughs> for, for a couple, I lived in Germany for a couple of years and I didn't have access to normal people television. So I had videos that I watched over and over and over and over. And I love drawing. And so I would just obsess over these things. So anyway, we, we generally would watch the same shows on a loop. And so again, you also memorize the names of the people produced them and all this stuff. So you kind of put all that together if you're weird and I'm a little weird, but, but so anyway, Sid and Marty Croft, they started, they did, they started doing costumes. Well, this may not be a start, but one of the bigger things that they did in their career is they created costumes and sets for the Hanna-Barbera banana splits adventure hour. I don't know if you ever watched the banana splits, but it was, yeah. So it was costume characters. It was just kind of wacky and, you know, silly Saturday morning stuff. And because that was popular, you know, they were kind of, they grew their business and they got a lot of extra contract, other jobs. If so, like Courtney, you don't, you don't recognize the Hanna-Barbera, you don't recognize the Sid and Marty Croft. And I imagine a lot of people don't who are listening. I remember Hanna-Barbera. You remember Hanna-Barbera. Okay. So the banana splits was theirs, but these guys, they, they did, just to clarify, in addition to doing these full body puppets, which is what mascots are technically called, mascot cartoons are actually full body puppets. And they also did marionettes and other puppets. The full body puppets that they did were the things that they were the most popular for. Their hallmarks of what they did were these really, really bright colors, massive googly eyes on these puppets. yellow and big yes. eyes. Mm-hmm. Very 70s, very late 60s, early 70s colors, oranges, mm-hmm. brown, like stripes, bright, gr- bright yellows and green stripes. So if you've never seen any of these puppets or you can't think of them, just think about the McDonald's McDonald land mascots of the 70s and 80s. Hamburglar. Like think about Grimace, Hamburglar, Mayor McCheese, because the Crofts actually sued McDonald's in 1977 <laughs> for copyright infringement for those puppets. Because they, they were should. too much like the crossed puppets. I can see um, that. So if, yeah, so if you don't know any of these things I'm about to say, picture those and you'll kind of get the idea. So in 1968, the Crofts produced a show for the Coca-Cola Pavilion at the San Antonio World's Fair. And for that, they created a character named Luther. And when NBC asked them to create their own kids show for, for the network in 1969, Luther was revamped to become a character named H.R. Puffin Stuff. And H.R. Puffin Stuff was a show that started in 1969 on NBC. It was a live action, full body puppet show. It lasted only 17 episodes. It didn't have a long life, but it was super, super, super popular in syndication. And it ran Saturday mornings, like just (laughs) with no end, it seemed like for a while. The same Um, 17 episodes over and over again. It was 17 episodes long. That's all they could do. So it was the story of a little British boy named Jimmy who sees a boat, gets in it, gets cursed by a witch for no reason, named Witchy Poo. The witch's name is Witchy Poo. She flies around on a flying bicycle-like contraption. He ends up getting saved by this huge, large-headed yellow man named H.R. Puffin Stuff, who was supposed to be a dragon, but kind of looks like a frog sort of clown thing. And, and it talks like Gomer Pyle. That's the best description of its like voice that I could give you because he says things like howdy and I'll be hornswoggle. I mean, he says just like ridiculous things. So HR Puffin stuff. (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. Right? It is. That's the amazing part about this. It is so freaking ridiculous. Like the little boy has a talking flute that just is like whiny as shit and you just want to slap it. So that was his first, that was, that was the cross first major, uh, major show, but then it was really popular. So they paid him to do another show. And one of the ones that I watched was called Lidsville. It ran from 1971 to 1973. Even I wasn't alive then, but like I said, these things ran in syndication for a really long time. And that one, it was about a boy named Mark who I 
incidentally thought was super cute at the time. He goes to a magic show. He stays behind to find out how the magic works. And he falls into the magician's hat where he lands in a world where everyone both is a hat and lives inside a hat. Oh, my <laughs> um, God. He did. Sounds uh, like the time I went to the drive-in. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. See, through lines. Um, the the one that you the one that there was also one called Bugaloo's that was 1970 to 1972 in which like it was just a British like a British accented band of insects who were like in a music in a rock band together, which I feel like was a precursor to Yo Gabba Gabba. Any any people who've had children in the last mm-hmm. like 15 years probably know what I'm talking about with Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh, yeah. just as trippy yes but um the one that you will most likely be familiar with is the land of the lost sid and marty croft were the ones who originated the land of the lost yes. in 1974 to 1976 and you're listen y'all hit the show page if you think this is interesting or funny or you want to trip out a little bit because i'm going to drop you videos for all of the opening themes of all of these shows. Holy shit, the banjo playing opening of Land of the Lost. I I was just like, it's about this this dad and his two kids who just get in a a raft and are floating down a river and go down into a waterfall and end up in the center of the earth where there are still dinosaurs for no reason. And like it's funny. All these shows have these amazingly expository opening credits where they've got this super like catchy theme song that you can never get out of your head. It's really bad. And it tells you the entire story background to everything you're about to see. So they don't ever have to do exposition in the show because it's all in the opening credits. But the Land of the Lost was like a little bit more dramatic. And it's in a really funny, super over the top way. Uh, slightly less trippy than the other ones. And it's because the writers from Star Trek joined the show and it wrote all very, the really good scripts. It looks very Star Trek-y. It is very Star Trek. And that's so it was Star Trek writers that wrote a lot of Land of the Lost. And there was one other one, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. That's a really, I never saw this one. It was 1973 to 1975. There's this little tiny sea monster named Sigmund who gets kicked out of Sea Monster World for refusing to scare people and then goes uh, above ground and makes friends with two human boys who live on the beach and have a housekeeper but no parents. I don't get it. So Marty Croft said in an interview, we screwed with every kid's mind, <laughs> which is true. And they swear oh, to God that they, they were, were not... doing this. Like... Oh, he knew that he knew they were whacked out. He's he, he and his brother both swear <laughs> to God. They were not high when they created these shows, but almost nobody believes that. Yeah. So anyway, again, staple of Saturday morning cartoons. So these had experience in theme parks a little bit because of their experience with Coca-Cola Pavilion at the World Fair, but also they had, um, worked with Six Flags. Six Flags had licensed some of their characters in the past, and around the same time as the World's Fair, Six Flags over Georgia viewed their tales of the Okefenokee ride. This was like very late 1960s, maybe 19... No, it was it was before 1970. And so Tales of the Okefenokee at Six Flags of Georgia was designed, the second iteration of it at that time was designed by Sid and Marty Croft. It was centered on the Tales of Uncle Remus. It was an anchor ride in what was then the park's Confederacy section. Mm. I do not shit you. Of course Six Flags was. of Georgia mm. had a Confederacy section. And they later changed this ride to Monster Plantation, and now it is called Monster Mansion. It's the, it's basically kind of the same idea as the Small World. It's like you get in a little boat, and it takes you through, you know, just wacky little animatronics. So I remember that was I've what the monster one, the Monster Plantation. I've been on that with my nephews. But Tales of Okefenokee closed in 1980. It included, and I'll drop, I'll drop y'all a, a YouTube video of some of the footage from Tales of Okefenokee. It it included a line of creepy carrots. That was the thing that was really the highlight for me in the reel that I found. It was like carrots that looked like they were singing out of human mouths. It was really weird. And yes, Disney did the same thing with Smash Mountain, but or Splash Mountain, but that was later. So. All of this experience combined to make Sid and Marty Croft the perfect people to design an attraction for families at the Omni in Atlanta. 
and a lot of the information that I got from that came from a podcast and YouTube show called Nostalgia, and I'll, I'll give you a link to that too. It was the world's first indoor amusement park or the world's first vertical amusement park, depending on who you ask. It was multiple floors inside the Omni Atrium. It was originally scheduled to be a $14 million project, ended up costing about $24 million. Dang. Yeah, no shit. So there was a huge PR buildup for this theme park. It took two years to design and build it. The projected attendance from the Omni was supposed to be like 1 million visitors in the first year. And they were thinking this because it could operate year round since it was indoors. The park was only supposed to take like three to four hours to go through because the whole idea was to get people to come into this complex and spend money at all the other stuff too. So it wasn't supposed to be an all day affair. So it opened on May 26, 1976 at an invite only black tie event. Ernest Borgnine was there. Bob Denver was there. Jimmy Carter was there. Mayor Maynard Jackson called it the greatest opening in Atlanta since the opening of Gone with the Wind, which Mm -hmm. just as an aside was in December 1959 when 300,000 people stood in the streets of Atlanta waiting to see the premiere of Gone with the Wind. I don't think it was necessarily a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. But so the, the walkthrough of the park, it starts with the world's longest escalator. And that's not an overstatement. The Guinness Book of World Records says that this escalator is the longest standing escalator in the world. It is 196 feet long, eight stories high. You get to the top of the escalator and there are these huge clown statues. (laughs) It's like starting off strong. So you you start at the top floor and it's called the fantasy fair. It's got a lot of animatronics, little like carnival sideshow kind of things. You go down and you're at the tranquility terrace, which is vaudeville acts. And there's a crystal carousel, which was the first new merry-go-round designed in the U S within the last 50 years. They were, they were like, they were plastic, but they were, they looked opalescent because of the, the way they had made them. They looked like crystal and they were all mythical animals like unicorns and pegasuses, pegasuses. So after you finish the carousel, you go down one more level to what they call the uptown level. The main attraction was a pinball ride where you get into a giant ball and then you get whirled and tossed around a room filled with like bumpers and lights, like you're inside a pinball machine. Um, all of this in the super trippy Sid and Marty Croft style. Then go down, you get the Lidsville section, which was mostly characters in a theater of, with for a puppet show. And then you go down a mineshaft elevator to the Living Island Adventure, which is where H.R. Puffin stuff lives. So it was a ride of H.R. Puffin stuff. It was kind of a storytelling ride where Witchy Poo is chasing you through the living forest and animatronic trees, all this stuff. And then they kind of let you out into the Omni. So you're finished. So the park ran into problems almost immediately because you've got this multi-use facility that has a hotel and office space and a theme park inside with a lot of children screaming and noise and beeps and boops and bells and laughter and all this stuff. So the hotel guests and office workers start complaining immediately and the developers have to spend another half million dollars for sound absorbing boxes to be hung from the ceiling. Then the ride started breaking like, you know, one time the the main HR puff and stuff ride breaks down two weekends in a row and they have to rain check all of their people. They expected like 3,500 thousand guests per day, but usually they got less than half of that, even on like a really busy Saturday. And part of the reason was the tickets were $5 and five cents which is about like $25 now. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, it was the price of a really nice dinner or like a ballerina Barbie. I mean, like right. wine by the glass at a fancy restaurant was a buck fifty at right. the time. So, and the Six Flags, which was, you know, if you know Atlanta, Six Flags is right outside the city. And the Six Flags all day ticket was $7.50. And that's all day long. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, Disney's tickets were only like eight fifty a day, and there were twelve rides on Disney's tickets at the time. Disney was pretty new too, so you know it was over. People would go, and then they'd be like, "Is that it? Is that it? You know, we came, yeah, yeah we came all this way, and uh, so they just 
weren't getting enough visitors, but in the black and people, there were other issues too. Like many people who had the means to spend at places like the Omni at the time didn't look at downtown Atlanta as a safe enough place to be. Homelessness and crime were still like not in a place where they wanted them to be. And this, this kind of poorly planned growth that they had facilitated kind of as exacerbated some of these issues. Cause like I said, Atlanta was building all these huge facilities all at the same time. And you know, the, this place that had not yet made itself a name as a tourist destination is suddenly overpopulated with these luxury hotels and convention centers and they're all competing with each other and people still don't really feel comfortable even going there. Mm -hmm. So because of all this stuff, the park did close after six months of operation. This $24 million indoor park oh closed after six months. The Omnix was put up for foreclosure sale, the whole complex, just a couple of years later because the other businesses didn't do well in that spot either. Marty talks about this project with a lot of nostalgia and sadness because he wanted it to be this massive thing that was going to be a blue part, like a blueprint for parks all across the country. Mm -hmm. And he, he thought they just kind of never had a chance to play it all out, right. which I don't think is true. I mean, like if you've yeah. seen any Sid and Marty Croft stuff, that shit was going to be obsolete in no time. Anyways, right. like the seventies aesthetic did not. Yes. Mm -mm. It did not last. Yeah. Not enough pot in the world. Right? Not <laughs> enough fucking acid in the world. But um, it's that it's that empty for lots of years. It was used as a it's funny, it was used as a short scenic backdrop for a 1978 Jane Seymour TV movie called Love's Dark Ride. And it was it was uh just like a, a little five minute thing, but they showed the characters getting and everything like that. And but because because they didn't have any buyers for the area or the park, they sold off or threw away all of the rides and fixtures. They just dumped a bunch of them into dumpsters. Oh, dang. And then in 1986, CNN moved into the building. They had been in Midtown. They moved everything in there. They, they revived that area at that time. And the atrium escalator that used to be the opening part of the world of Sid and Marty Croft is still in the CNN center because it was built as part of the building structure and it couldn't be removed. Huh. So the world's longest escalator now is how tourists get to the start of the tour for the CNN center. So you can see it in all the pictures of the CNN center. It's this escalator that goes up into a big globe that the tour that's where the entrance to Sid and Marty Croft used to be okay so and Marty Croft is unfortunately an and watcher so every time he watches the he, every time he watches the the channel he thinks about his poor park that never succeeded right but but anyway I I'm going to drop tons and tons and tons of videos on the page because everybody needs to have a little bit of Saturday morning shit yeah to lose themselves in i remember well hamburglar scared the shit out of me so any puppets <laughs> during that time scared the shit out of me so i was having none of it which is why i didn't watch any of those shows because i was just I, I couldn't i couldn't hang i was not a puppet <laughs> person early in life puppets were way too close to dolls and i just <laughs> I just couldn't do it. That's how I feel about it. Too. Well, I we can I we can fight that out a little more, more in the after show. What they're more about? Well, I was what I think about when I hear about the Omni <clears throat> and that entertainment area is is the Atlanta child murders because oh. Mind Hunter made it very popular in in it doesn't say what it is, but if you've read Mind Hunter, you know anything about the Atlanta child murders you know that the FBI spent a lot of time there because the arcade at least was a place where young black males hung out and would play games, you know, right. and yes. that they suspected that the murderer hung out in the Omni 
to pick off mm-hmm. children wow. as his prey. Mm-hmm. So that's, I didn't know if you were going to go into that or not, but you kept it a little lighter than that. Because no. I, <laughs> I didn't know about, I know. Well, I didn't I, know really about, I only knew about the CNN center because 86, you know, I had probably only been to Atlanta once by then, you know, and I was whatever, however old we were, we were what, eight, seven or eight in 86. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about it. I but the Atlanta child murders, the first murder happened in 1979, so I didn't go that far because the park closed, like opened and closed in 1976. And then the 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 complex started getting sold off in pieces in 78. So I kind of okay. just left all that. But yes, that was in my notes because I was like, yeah, I talk it, about safety around the Omni. That's a pretty big point. Because I thought when I when I learned about the Atlanta child murders and the Omni, I was like, this isn't the Omni though, that I, I don't know, that's, I was confused. So that what you told did help me understand, like there was an entertainment part of that, of the Omni at that time. Well, that I didn't know about. I yeah, just found a picture of the carrots with human faces and oh, no. terrifying. <laughs> and I think they really should have saved that. And it could have been like a horror film backdrop for sure. It's, you know, they look like all I could think of when I saw them the first time was that they looked like those videos that people used to make. Like, I don't was this in the 90s that people started making of their hands with little lipstick on yes. them so that their hands mm-hmm. made little mouths, mouths. and stuff or mm-hmm. like or like big fat men who use their be- lips on their belly buttons. Like that's that's yes. exactly what I saw when I saw those talking carrots is yes. disturbing as shit. It is disturbing. But it also has a little bit of I dream of genie and like the eye treatment because they're like very Oh, I could see that. Kind of like genie like seventies lids with like yeah. They're they're terrifying. Yeah, y'all need to get on there and just like <laughs> at least experience if if you have never experienced any Sid and Marty Croft. Y'all need to get on there and at least experience it for a second. And preferably when you're high, but if not, you right. know, just whatever. It's still enjoyable. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Terrifying. Terrifying. <sighs> well, well, I guess we'll go on and continue this in the after show. But we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.